Hey everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike, Erie, and Timothy John Stafford are here. Welcome to the show. Timothy, how... You look like you were thinking about your last name for a second, like you weren't quite sure. You're like, Mike... Oh, yeah, eerie. yeah, it's just not as cool as, as Timothy John Stafford. That whole thing rolls together. Michael Carl Erie just doesn't sound as cool. So I was just debating whether or not even to get into that. Oh, Bonnie no. Gale Lewis, that's yeah, that rolls off the tongue as well. Um, Timothy George Gombas. I like Erie. I'll trade you. Uh, yeah? I... We learned that today. <laughs> TGG. Today, ladies and gentlemen, oh, have we got a doozy. But before we get to that, I want to thank Grant, Lindsay, Sam, and Amanda for uh, joining us uh, on Patreon. It is unbelievably gracious and generous, the number of people who come and who help carry this whole thing forward. And so we're so grateful for that. Patreon.com, Vox Podcast with Mike Erie, or you can go to voxpodcast.com, and there you have uh, Tithely or Patreon, two different ways to give and it's all tax deductible. But my word, we have a show for you today. So Timothy <laughs> raised a question after our last uh, Sermon on the Mount podcast, where I was kind of riffing a little bit on the idea when, when Jesus says, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and I was commenting that the Greek word there doesn't just mean sin. It means um, debts, like literal economic debts. And uh, offline, he said, hey, we should, we should explore that a little bit. So we roped in our favorite, uh, well, one of our favorite theologians, Timothy Gombas, to talk about um, capitalism, um, economic justice, and critical race theory, and how all of those things fit together. And holy... Your normal Thanksgiving dinner topics. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, and holy moly, um, I, I think I had to ask maybe three or four questions and we filled up an hour. <laughs> it's, it's such challenging stuff. And, um, and you know, I still have to process, I don't know, I don't know where I am on some of the things that he says, but, but what I love about him and, and what we've said multiple times is that he is a theologian that is willing to be in process on issues and to not have perfectly yeah. footnoted and clarified statements. Um, he's he is he's willing to be wrong. He's willing to be in process, and I just love being around people like that. I really do. Yeah, it's it's so good, and he's willing to engage you when you ask those questions. Yep. He he never like. He'll be in process openly, and if you're like, "Well, what about?" He'll, he'll you'll watch him like his brow wrinkle up <laughs> as he is processing your question and really going through it. So it's it's great. It's he's you can watch the student in him as you're trying to be a student yourself. Yeah, yeah. And so this one, I mean, this one's pretty heavy, and we're talking about lots of controversial stuff. So understand, you don't have to agree. Um, sometimes I'm laughing and I'm doing it because it's striking close to home. Um, uh, sometimes I'm just going, mm, cause I, I'm like, whoa, I really need to think about that. Um, but this is kind of the heart of what we've always wanted the, this podcast to be. I mean, willing to ask and wrestle with hard issues and, and ask hard questions and then working it out, um, as a community. So, uh, I think it'll be really helpful. I encourage you to, to make it all the way through. There's 
just so much in here. Um, and we're excited to, to, to share it with you. We'd love, as always, to hear your thoughts. Hello at voxpodcast.com or on the tweets, on the grams, or on the Facebooks. Um, we're all, we're all <laughs> the over. The books, the grams, and the tweets. Yes, 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 yes. So anyway, here you go, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to be gombist. We Gird are here with our we are here with our friend Timothy Gombus, PhD professor, Renaissance man, Cubs fan, there you go. Host, host of the um, Faith Improvised podcast, and um, author of various and sundry scholarly articles and books. Timothy Gombas, hello. How are you? How's the fall been for you so far? Good. It's great to see you guys. It's good to be back. Uh, the fall is it fall? Is it, it April? Is it December? I have no idea. I, I I don't know. I know how the last couple of months were, and I but I also don't. Um, I've completely lost <laughs> touch with time. No clue. Um, you you were teaching right remotely. Yeah. So. Uh, we were teaching in person for uh, September, October, November, but then uh, probably late mid mid November, everything got shut down again. We so we've been teaching remotely. So just like this, this is the only way I see people. If I see anybody, I'm in my office, but there's only about two or three people here, and you know we're all masked up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I only see faces be, virtually. But to be honest, does that make you happy? You know, um, I thought my wildest fantasies came true, like in March when there was like quarantine for months. And I just thought, I don't, you're telling me I don't have to see anybody for, I could not believe it. And then um, uh, this happened again and it's sort of like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's all, it's also wrapped up with a lot of other uh, chaotic sort of moments and all the cultural conflict is really unsettling. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. honestly, I, you know, Sarah and I live without kids and we, it's just us and we're in touch with our kids pretty regularly, but you know, she's very easy to get along with and great, a delight to get along with. And we're lucky, very lucky. A lot of people are stuck in with uh, difficult situations. So I, uh, I don't want to. Yeah. You've heard about Stafford then. So. <laughs> No, are you, are you being serious? <laughs> no, Neither have no, I. No, no, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, we want to we want to commend um, Faith Improvised as a podcast to our uh, listenership. We're going through we, meaning the the royal we. Um, the Timothy is going through uh, the book of Mark. And, um, you, you gotta, you, this isn't one of those where you just sit and kind of have it on in the background. You gotta, you gotta work a bit. You gotta focus a bit. Yeah. Do you be, really? Ab, well, I do. <laughs> I do. I kill, I can kill hours on the road with those, with those. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. No, it's I, been I, fun. I, I really haven't enjoyed revisiting it and kind of, you know, revisiting, falling back in love with Mark. I mean, it's just such a, it's so 
awesome and wonderful and thrilling and terrifying. It really is. Honestly, yeah. I just, yeah. it's like, my goodness, this is really frightening. When's your commentary coming out? Uh, uh, beginning of March. Okay. That's the date. You know, I, I never know. Sometimes it's like a little bit, uh, before that or after that, but that yeah. early late February, early March. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. It's like Jesus rewritten part two. Um, I don't know what that means. What is that? I don't, understand. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, your Mark wrote his thing, and then your words about Mark are as as of equal value. I don't know. I didn't. That went nowhere fast. Okay. So Timothy, today uh, we have two slightly non-controversial topics to cover with you. Cool. Uh, we want to talk about critical race theory, and we want to talk about capitalism and whether or not it embodies biblical economic ideals. So nothing, <laughs> nothing new, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, and, and obviously, just with a bit of, of setup, this past week, uh, the, uh, the Council of Seminary Presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention released a statement denouncing racism, but also declared a critical race theory incompatible with their beliefs. Uh, and the quote is, in light of our current conversations in the Southern Baptist Convention, we stand together on historic Southern Baptist condemnations of racism in any form, but we declare that the affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical theory is incompatible with Baptist faith and message. And, um, and so I've heard you on your podcast talk a little bit about this, and I thought it was, um, I thought you, I thought you brought up um, some interesting um, things to pay attention to. And so I was wondering if we could start today by by talking a little bit about what CRT is and how it is that thoughtful followers of Jesus ought to engage with it. Do uh, you want to go ahead and intro that, or do you want me to quote from Wikipedia? Because I can, <laughs> I can do either. Yeah, give us a unofficial... All right, here it is, Wikipedia. This this is the second version of Jesus right here, too. Um, critical race. I'm going to go back to that until it works. Critical race theory is a theoretical framework in the social sciences that examines society and culture as they relate to categorizations of race, law, and power. It is loosely unified around two common themes. Firstly, that white supremacy exists and exhibits power maintained over time, and in particular, that the law plays a role in this process. Secondly, that transforming the relationship between law and racial power, as well as achieving racial emancipation and anti-subordination more broadly, are possible. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good uh, uh, description of it. Um, basically, critical race theory is the is uh, it's a framework. It's not like a body of, of uh, mm -hmm. um, like a doctrine or a teaching or whatever, but it's a recognition that uh, in this in, in America, in, you know, in the West, obviously, but in America, we have, um, I'm just trying to think here, 400 and I can't do the math, you know, uh, 400 plus. 401 years ago, up until 1865, we had, or eight, eight, slightly before that, um, we there was um, African slavery on this land. And then um, uh, ostensibly the slaves were freed uh, white people freed the slaves, uh, try not to use the passive voice. People were enslaved mm -hmm. on this land. And so the question is, 
um, uh, that profoundly unjust reality probably shows up in a variety of ways since then, where does it? Mm. And, and so then it's like, all right, let's go and assert, let's, let's take a look for, um, like in, uh, yeah, in law, in, in architecture, in, um, literature, in, uh, institutional structures, is it, is it, we should assume it's baked in because it was such a longstanding institution with all kinds of social practices and attitudes and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's an approach to thinking about culture and the law and, uh, cultural practices and analyzing power. And so it's, um, it's to my mind, it's profoundly important and it's profoundly Christian. Mm. Um, and so that approach to, to, to approach things from that direction. And the, the reason I say that is because my thinking is shaped by, um, by the apostle Paul and in his framework, um, uh, his, his whole understanding of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came, um, to liberate humanity, enslaved humanity from sin and death and the powers, um, the powers and authorities and Satan and, uh, to create one new people. Uh, and so, because Paul thinks in terms of larger dynamics, like, uh, mm. uh systemic and yeah. structural dynamics, um, because he thinks that that's just his natural, that's the whole thought world of coming out of the old Testament of, um, first century Judaism. And it shapes Paul's thinking. And really, I mean, in gospel of Mark, Jesus, uh, reflects that very same reality. He is there not to save souls. He's there to plunder, uh, the, uh, whatchamacallit's house. The strong man. Yeah, I know, Mark. He's there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, he's there to plunder the strong man's house to demonstrate that he's defeating him. And so right. he's pulling, um, pulling people out of the strong man's house and, and creating uh, a new body of people that engage in renewed social practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's problematic, I mean, the reason why there's a number of reasons why evangelicals and especially Southern Baptists would be, um, would, uh, have problems with critical race theory. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. I saw on Twitter, um, uh, a, a reaction by a number of black people to this and, um, that, it was, it was, it was kind of funny. They were like, of course, thank you. We know that we know that critical race theory is, um, incompatible with the Baptist faith and message or whatever the, the title of it is. I mean, we all know that because it's a, it's a denomination founded on white supremacy and it's a denomination founded, um, to be a safe place for slave owners to feel comfortable owning slaves and being Christian. Wow. Um, and so there's a uh, it, Robert P. Jones in his book uh, "White Too Long" talks about how it is that like uh, Southern Seminary and a number of the other seminaries have made statements, um, uh, sort of uh, rejecting the racist history, but then have not really at all gone on to take the active steps of addressing. Um, redressing historic injustices, which falls short of biblical justice. That's not how biblical justice works in, in the old Testament and in the new Testament. Uh, biblical justice is recognizing 
uh, where Shalom has been put out of whack and taking active steps to restore and to um, uh, bring about restitution. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of not a surprise. But uh, evangelical thinking is very individualistic, and um, we imagine that racism is something that exists in human hearts, and we just have to sort of have our, our motives transformed. But, I mean, writers and thinkers on racism know that um, uh, you or I can be prejudiced or have assumptions. Um, racist attitudes can exist in our, our minds because our imaginations are shaped by, um, uh, by white supremacy. That is by the stratifying of, uh, white people over black people over, mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, white culture, white spaces, white institutions over black people, um, black spaces, black institutions, black neighborhoods, etc. That's, there's a hierarchy there historically, which is the injustice. Um, but Southern Baptists, uh, the Southern Baptist denomination and evangelicals are so individualistic that we do not recognize the structural and systemic realities of racism. Mm -hmm. And so the best writers on race will talk about how um, racism is not attitudes. It's the structure of our society. It is a, it's a, it's a racist society and that has to be dismantled or analyzed so that we can um, bring about uh, justice. So it's, um, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's a tremendous and, and critical race theory gets us there. Because we can, what it is, is an approach to looking at our, at our, uh, our culture and understanding, um, uh, it's an approach to looking at our culture to discern the ways in which it's unjust. So Mm -hmm. it's, this is a real tragic development to my mind, because it's basically saying, um, uh, you know, like what Paul has that discussion in second Corinthians about, um, being sorrowful, but making sure it's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Yeah. This is basically an admission on the part of Southern Baptist seminary presidents. We, we have the sorrow part. It's just not godly sorrow because we're not interested in actually doing the repenting. We'll do, we'll do the talk. Like we'll say we're, we feel badly about this. Yeah. Um, but as far as really looking at structures uh, to participate in, um, in active steps that would actually cost us something, not interested. Yeah. Yeah, a number of um, commenters uh, were noting that this was six white men uh, declaring <laughs> that yeah. CRT was incompatible with their beliefs, and you know, not totally. Not, yeah, we knew that. Not yeah, yeah, not 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 shocking. There, some of the the. So well, let me just say, Mike. Yeah, I, I, yes, it's six white men saying that racism is done, like we're done, like we've got that. Um, to my mind, like, um, I'm always trying to think, relate, uh, sort of the social societal to the interpersonal. So I'm always thinking about like, what is, what does offense and restoration look like with my kids? What does offense and restoration look like with my wife? And if I, if, if I know that I've wronged one of them, um, it's up, it's up to them to, to say, uh, the restitution has been satisfying. Like the record, like, yes, you really do understand how, what you said hurt me. And, um, I, I also recognize that you've identified it as wrong. And I, my heart is satisfied with how we've had this conversation. So it's up to people who have been historically wounded. And in America, 
uh, it's up to black people to say when, when uh, racial progress is being made. It's not up to white people. Hmm. So if, hmm. if a step like this has been made and um, wounds are either exacerbated or uh, remain, then our work isn't done. Hmm. So you're, you're making a number of really significant theological points. One is that um, the work of the gospel isn't just the transformation of individual hearts but it's the establishment of justice. Um, second, that we think in really individualized terms so that racial, we, we, we perceive the issues of race as this, well, I'm not racist. I didn't own slaves. And you're saying Paul considers powers and principalities and structures far beyond any individual participation. Um, am I saying that? Am I yeah, saying that yeah, yeah. Uh, it, or I guess I would say in addition to. So, in addition um, to. social social bodies um, are social bodies are the arenas in which sin and death do their work. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, um, we, you know, over the last five hundred years, we can only think individualistically. We just haven't. We yeah. don't have the ideological muscles to like it, it's i mean i've really made the effort over the last 20 years to try to get outside of an individualistic mindset and i mean it's hard it's, it's really hard yeah it's like yeah it's just brutal so some of the christian critiques of critical race theory i've heard one of them is well we've gone from seeing race nowhere to seeing race everywhere mm-hmm. um and that's that's too far <laughs> uh and i follow i follow uh, my Twitter follows are the people I follow are just a mess of contradictions. And I, so I follow a bunch of, of, uh, advocates for CRT. And then I follow some people who are, uh, documenting the ways that critical race theory is being forced into government offices, um, or, uh, kind of heavy handed over school districts and so on. How, how should we engage if we're saying that that it's a framework that we want to engage in that is a biblical framework that that is uh, involving repentance and justice when it when it when it when we start getting pushback uh because it's now being done heavy-handedly how do we how do we handle those sorts of conversations you know when you're into a training that's whites only and you know page 1 is you're living on stolen land uh, and, and again, these are, these are things I'm just reflecting that I hear reflected about CRT, yeah. um, in its kind of popular forms. Yeah, I guess, um, uh, let's see here. So I'm, I'm always my, the way that my thinking runs is I'm always thinking about, um, who am I as a Christian? What does Christian identity look like? And, and now, and what, what's being asked of me here hmm. and, um, what does this involve? So I'm a person who um, I'm, I'm somebody and I'm part of a body that uh, I'm, I'm dead to this world. I, I've been baptized. I'm a baptized individual. I've identified with the death of Christ. Um, so when I began in this journey, I gave up all my rights and I gave up, I gave up everything. Um, I became, I identified myself with a person um, crucified. So I also am. And I also am a person who is going to receive an eternal inheritance in the future. So I'm alive in the world to come. I'm dead to this world. And, um, so, and I also am a person that is given by God as, as a gift along with the body that I'm I'm a part of as a gift to the world. And, um, 
I've also been, I've also been Dikayadzoed, which mm-hmm. has been completely misunderstood and misrepresented in West, uh, in in, a, yeah. in my tradition, to mean that uh, I've been justified, and there's been a verdict of righteousness in heaven about me. That's right. In Paul's thought, I I mean I blown away. By the way, um, uh, there's a brand new book on Romans on this. Uh, it's called resurrecting justice. It's by, um, uh, Doug, Doug Herring, Douglas Herring, hmm. where he goes into this and I'm kind of, I mean, he wrote the book. I would have loved to have written this book. He goes <laughs> into how Dick Iazzo is, is, a, is, uh, God setting something right. He, hmm. he, he creates a just people who are passionate for justice. Wow. It's, but, but so and, it's not and, an individual imputation thing. Oh, not at all. It's, and and it's, um, so the church is God's people who are, they are set right with God. That's part of it, but it's, we are transformed into God's just people that now Mm. are interested in displaying God's justice in our behavior in the world. So, okay. So all that shapes my identity. So I should assume that as a person on a cross, my life is not going to be comfortable from here on out. Um, and also I'm, I'm assuming that, um, because God is a person, God is a, is a, a sovereign King overall of creation, whose ears are especially attuned to people who have been oppressed and mistreated. Hmm. I'm a person who wants to have ears attuned to people who have been historically oppressed and mistreated. Cause that's what God does. I want to, I, I want it to go well for me at the end. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't. I don't want to face judgment. So I want to be like him. And, um, I also am a part of a people that are committed to justice. So that's my identity. And I'm a person that is dead to this world, alive to the next world. So I can't complain. I can't whine when things are, are demanded of me and, uh, and the people that I'm a part of. So if I, if I now am involved, if, um, if, if I hear a complaint by a fellow person that identifies as Christian, like I do, and they say, well, there's injustice everywhere you know, now there's racism everywhere. Mm-hmm. My response is, okay, that's where our work lies. Oh, oh, let the, now it's clear. Let's get to work. Let's, let's get to work listening and learning and identifying where, where it's happening. Um, I, if I, if I hear something like, well, now there's racism everywhere and, the, and this is just too much. <laughs> what I, what I hear that as is I'm tired of this, th- this work of, being transformed into a people that identify injustice and work for God's justice is tiring. And I don't want to do it anymore. Hmm. I understand that. Uh, but from a Pauline perspective, that's called apostasy. Like it's called not being a disciple. I, hmm. I get it. Um, but again, life as a disciple is life on a cross. So, I mean, I've told this to so many people, I mean, I'm, cause I'm trying to try to get it myself. Um, the norm for being a cross-shaped person should feel like slivers in your back. Hmm. Uh, it should feel like exposure. That's the norm. So if you're feeling discomfort, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, this is, we're there. <laughs> we're there. This is what it feels like. Um, also, I talked to a really brilliant person who's well-versed in theory, my daughter, and she was talking about, um, she's a, was an English major, creative writing, uh, master's degree, proud, very proud of her. And we talk about these things quite a bit. 
And she was talking about how she feels like members of historically privileged groups, you know, uh, sort of, you know, white people, white men, especially need to feel the wound. We have to feel the insult Um, because black people um, have been feeling it for 400 years. Uh, The culture has sent the message. uh, You're less than you're, you're uh, um, and and they are a wounded people. And so as a person claimed by the cross and called to have solidarity with the wounded, if I'm sitting alongside the wounded, I'm going to start to feel the wounds and it's going to, and it will be uncomfortable because unlike black people in America, I don't have the stamina and I don't have the cultural wisdom that's been passed down through 400 years of generations of how to bear the wounds. Mm-hmm. Like there is collected wisdom in how to be a suffering people uh, in, in black communities and in, in white communities, we, we just don't have it. Mm-hmm. And we, we haven't suffered to, in the same ways. Some, some of us have had a hard, have hardships, but we have not faced this hardship. So when we enter the conversation, it's going to be, it's going to involve mostly listening, mostly learning, um, a lot of discomfort and, 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 um, and a lot of uh, defensiveness and all the mm-hmm. dynamics of white fragility are going to rise in our hearts and minds. And, um, it'll be uncomfortable and it'll be uncomfortable till we die mm-hmm. because, um, this is learning about race and coming to grips with all this and learning to uproot, uh, to over overthrow, um, to go through the transformation of our imaginations and to learn to identify the structural dynamics and to adjust our lives accordingly is just going to take, <laughs> we got here for 400 years. Yeah. So it's not going to happen, you know, in three weeks and it's not going to happen in a seminar. Yeah. I'm assuming I'm going to be learning about race for the rest of my life. I'm going to be talking about race for the rest of my life. Hmm. Um, hmm. And when someone says, well, now there's racism everywhere. I'm like, yes, you're starting to see it. You're starting to get it because it has been everywhere for 400 years, but white people have been, have been blinded. Right. So like I said, um, God listens and his, his attention is directed toward the oppressed. Hmm. And so, hmm. um, what, what, what drives me crazy is, um, is, is having black colleagues and black friends, um, who are Christians also, and who express disappointment or frustration that um, that white people uh, aren't, and people with voices, people like me, aren't highlighting this more. Mm. And I, my goal, and I think I was thinking about this this morning on my walk. I do not care about the whiny white man or the whiny uh, white person who says, um, uh, this has been too much. That's not my concern. My concern is uh, my black female colleague uh, down the hall, who is an amazing scholar and very well accomplished, but who has to bear all these wounds. I want to be able to look her in the eye and feel like I'm doing my part. Um, You know, that's, that's what I'm concerned about. I want to be able to face her and feel in my heart as a brother in Christ and a fellow professional. um, I'm, I'm, I think that she would approve of how I'm behaving and she wouldn't express disappointment. Mm. That's, that's my aim. My aim is not to, um, you know, yeah. To, to go along with uh, white solidarity and, um, <laughs> you know, not upset white people. We need, we, we need to be upset <laughs> yeah. because here's the, here's the good news of it. Um, if we're Christian, 
we're loved by God and, and it's okay. And we can be free to be wrong if we're dead. I mean, we're dead in Christ. So to be wrong is okay. We're all, the worst thing has already happened to us. The worst thing has already happened. We're, we're dead. And so I don't think that we think about death enough in our churches to just grapple with what it would mean <laughs> to what it really means to have given up absolutely everything. Yeah. So when people make demands of us, that should be how it feels. We've already, we, we, we gave up our stuff. If people want our stuff, we can talk about it. We gave up our time. If people want our time, we can talk about it. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> what was your question? Ah, no, dude. Sometimes, sometimes uh, I ask something just designed to hear you think it through because e even the way that you approach something like this, where you don't have a set answer at the beginning of a statement I love hearing how you situate yourself uh, in response. Part of part of the structures and part of, I, I think my learning has has been towards some of the economic aspects of this. Um, I was always I was raised a good capitalist, and I was raised to believe the welfare state is a very bad thing, and it's an enabling thing, and and people are leeches, and they'll just sort of um attach themselves to government handouts and and you know these days socialism um it's kind of a dirty word in the same way crt is in in some quarters yeah. and tim and i have been working our way through the sermon on the mount and we got to the got to the part in the lord's prayer where it says forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us <laughs> and and you realize that word doesn't mean sin yeah it can mean that but it also can mean like literal debts and and so tim was like well that's interesting <laughs> that, yeah th these are verses these, yeah these are verses that that have been spiritualized and individualized and so i thought maybe as part of this um conversation around crt we could take a specific example of a, of a kind of a given in in white america which is the capitalist system and its goodness and that yeah. you go to the Bible then and find whatever examples, but you have these counterexamples where economic policy isn't yeah. so clear. And I'd love, I'd love yeah. some of your, um, some of your thoughts uh, around: um, Are we have we misread the Bible's teaching on money to the point where we're missing some of these very clear, like forgive forgive debts. Like literally yeah. forgive debts. Like someone owes you money, literally yeah, forgive totally, them man. as part of the Lord's prayer. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love, I'd love some of your thoughts. Yeah, the answer is way. yes. We miss a lot. <laughs> um, so just a, a, lot, a lot of things to say about this. I was raised in a, an environment. Uh, I come from a, a family that has uh, a larger, a large family, you know, uncles and cousins, and um, they've all lived the American dream you know, become, uh, just ridiculously wealthy people. Mm. And, um, over the period of the last, uh, 80 to 90 years, having come to the States, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, and being brought up as a, as an evangelical, I, uh, I also was, was taught all of this and then studied in college. So I went to a Christian mm. university and, uh, studied politics and economics and was taught all of this supply side yeah. theory and yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, the goodness the of capitalism, hand, baby. Yeah, totally. And, uh, individual responsibility and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and 
then went to seminary and started studying the Bible and then went and lived in a different, in a different country for four years that, that uh, were people were Christians um, who had the same convictions across the line, as far as like scripture and all that had, had very different ideas when it came to the Bible and politics and economics. And I was, I just, I, that was interesting. Um, and then, uh, and that was, uh, that sort of helped me or that spurred on my desire to learn more about my American evangelical culture. Like, why do we think differently from other evangelicals in other parts of the world? So reading history, I've come to understand that, um, there was a, um, so evangelicals left the mainline denominations that are you know very well funded and built institutions that they needed to fund. Mm-hmm. And so um, evangelical businessmen funded those Bible colleges and seminaries. And um, Kevin Cruz tells this story in one nation under God um, purposefully injected into the seminaries and uh, uh, educated preachers um, to spread like a free market philosophy in opposition to uh, uh, Roosevelt's new deal. And yeah, they've done this, that yeah. over the last century. Yeah. So like we have been, we have had our imaginations colonized by capitalist ideology and um, that, so that got my attention. Um, yeah. And then learning more and more about how capitalism works and its history um, is, has also been very eye opening. So, uh, and, and also part of that process of having um, an evangelical culture that's been cultivated to, uh, to favor capitalism and to, to, to favor capital, that is to say, to, to favor um, corporate, the corporate class right. over labor, which was mm-hmm. a complete reversal among evangelicals. Evangelicals had always been on the lookout for labor interests and for the oppressed and the under, underclass. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a sort of a hijacking of evangelicalism. And that was also the introduction of this method of, um, of keeping people committed to this uh, sort of capitalist mindset and the, the brilliance and the power of markets and uh, the goodness, the inherent goodness of markets. That was the beginning of um, sowing fear and suspicion among evangelical constituencies to keep them committed and um, by creating bogeymen like socialism and mm-hmm. communism. And uh, Billy Graham was uh, sort of, uh, I want to say seduced. He was seduced into this by Eisenhower. Eisenhower offered him access to power in exchange. Billy Graham uh, preached against the evils of communism to sort of shore up patriotism. So socialism, communism, liberalism, um, what else? Now Marxism, and now CRT is the new one. Evangelicals have been cultivated to always need bogeymen. We we mm-hmm. we don't know how to function without knowing bad who the bad guys are. Like what mm-hmm. what's the latest dangerous thing I should be looking out for? That's not a biblically um, a biblically fostered posture. We have been cultivated to think and feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, even though God didn't give us a spirit of fear, we've been given one by our evangelical. Um, uh, former evangelical leaders and, uh, over the last century. So that is a big driver of all this. So when people, when leaders, uh, so fear about CRT, that's, it's, that's like, we are a ready-made people to, to buy that. Mm. Um, also I, uh, part of the dismantling of my thinking on capitalism came first really from, uh, understanding the, the economic, uh, vision of the old Testament 
where, uh, I mean, cause capitalism does not work without debt. Debt is the whole point and, um, planned as, um, the, the, uh, the books at home, brilliant new book called the divide. Um, uh, he's got a chapter on planned misery. Uh, so I mean, you, you, uh, uh, basically capitalism, the capitalist dynamics of uh, our global economy remove, uh, twice as much from developing com- uh, countries as we give to them in aid. So it's like the moves are, it's, it's all about extraction of resources um, and about uh, keeping people in poverty and in debt. And in Deuteronomy, was it 15? Um, Deuteronomy 15 is about forgiving debts, just like every seven years, forgive debts. It's a jubilee economy. It's not a capitalist economy at all. Um, and it's, a, it's an economy where... Um, where people have uh, ultimate value. Um, first of all, God owns the land in capitalism. It's, it's all about private property. God owns the land. And it's, it's absolutely imperative that each family unit has their own plot of land that they can develop. Um, and it's, it's given to them by God. And if people make foolish decisions every seven years and lose their land, every seven years it returns because God is on the lookout for the poor, the orphan, the widow. And, I begin to see all of these passages about the Jubilee economy and Jesus's instruction in the gospels, like you're mentioning that the reason why there's not so much more in there about uh, economics, though there's a lot that we don't read is because Jesus is assuming the Jubilee economy of the old Testament, uh, which is Jesus's Bible. It's not his old Testament as if it's dispensed and Paul's instructions all assume this. Mm. And, I, I began to think to myself about, I mean, I read Friedman and Hayek and I mean, I read all these um, uh, anti-socialist thinkers in college and I had all these objections to sort of basically um, that way of thinking, thinking about thinking that uh, we should listen to the Bible when it talks about economics. And I began to realize I have valued ideology over people like my, my commitment to free markets or to capitalism and its inherent goodness. Um, I have become cold towards the poor. I've become cold hearted. Um, when I think about, um, helping the poor, I'm always thinking about caveats. I'm always thinking about caveats. Like, Mm. um, you know, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. And what he means is you always have them with you. So always be helping them, not you always have them with you. So I mean, they're never going to go away. So, you know, take a break from helping every once in a while. Um, and, but whenever, whenever I read passages about how to treat the poor, I always had an individualist footnote that kept me from, um, thinking perseveringly about that. Yeah. Like, um, you know, be generous toward the poor if they are responsible. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It was always a caveat. And I, and I began to think about this after reading Matthew 25 and about the basis of judgment being whether or not we welcomed foreigners being whether or not we fed the naked being, whether or not we gave a drink to the thirsty being, whether or not we fed the hungry, that would be the basis of judgment. I began to think about like, why am I not doing any of that? And I, I began to think when, when I meet the risen Lord Jesus and I say, well, but they weren't responsible or, but they made bad choices or, but she got pregnant or if I like, well, my excuses fly. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or will, will my reasons that all come? And, and it's like, I couldn't find any of those in like the study notes of any of my Bibles. And I thought, <laughs> and then like, so then I just started thinking, all right, where do those come from? They all come from my inherited white upper middle-class culture. Yeah. And I just, and, and Bible culture, Scott McKnight makes this great, great point. I have, um, to have a glossary for this episode, like a work cited page. <laughs> reference. Love it. It's like the Bible creates a culture and evangelical white conservative culture is not Bible culture. We are evangelical conservative white culture that is capitalist culture. And we have select Bible verses to make us feel good about having cultivated cold hearts toward the needy. And again, it's like, what are the reasons why we don't want to talk about this? Why mm. don't we want to talk about this? Because it's not the gospel. That's the big yeah, one well, I hear. It's social Jesus justice. Says, it's not the gospel. Yeah. If Jesus, when Jesus talks about the gospel, come on, um, come and on. Jesus mentions these things. And when Mary celebrates the arrival of the Lord come and on. says, the poor are going to love this. Yeah. The oppressed are going to love this. And the, the, the high and mighty are going to be thrown down. So, so, so that's Mary's reaction when she hears about the gospel and the arrival of Jesus. Yeah. So, um, or even the Beatitudes in Luke. Woe totally. to the rich. It's everywhere. Because uh, the gospel is about the creation of a social entity that does God's justice on earth. Oh, and, and it's like, I know why. I know why church leaders church boards, pastors. I know why we don't want to talk about this and don't want to take action. It's because capitalism has entirely captured our, our churches. It has our churches enslaved. And so it's like, I don't even blame church boards and pastors themselves. Like it's not, they didn't choose it. It's that, it's that um, we have inherited an enslaved culture. And I, and I, I feel like I want to say to pastors and church boards, like I, w- I want to press them beyond the immediate answer of, well, that's the social gospel. I want to push it into a corner and really get them mad so that they speak the truth. Mm. Cause you know, Mike, why I know, you know why. why I know it's why. because it's because let's start the money talk. Yep. Giving will go down. Yep. Giving, giving units. <laughs> think about, think about how capitalism has captured our churches <laughs> and our imaginations because we have commodified. This is what capitalism does. It commodifies. Yeah. It turns everything, everything into a commodity. We've commodified the, the body parts, the organic living body parts uh, in our social bodies. These, these people who are image of God, we call them giving units. I mean, God damn it. That is like, I mean, literally yeah. God damn yeah. that because God has damned it. We have turned people into dollar signs and it's like our culture has given us that as our churches and as church boards and bodies. So we do not want to talk about race because that means we have to be involved in justice and, pe- and white people won't like that. So they'll stop giving and they'll stop showing up. And we're not going to talk about uh, a five year long project in the, in the uh, commitment to the inner city where we form a partnership with a, with a, with, with a poor urban church or a poor rural church uh, to be involved in um, advocacy. And we're not going to talk about how we're going to get involved in a, a citywide effort to advocate to uh, city officials that we distribute funds to public schools equally and not to uh, wealthy white suburban uh, schools, the, the 
way that we fund uh, inner city black schools. We're not going to do that because um, some of our, our wealthy people in our churches are not going to like that. I mean, so capitalism wins. It's like we, we have decided as a culture that we will do anything for mammon and we will talk about Jesus, but we won't do anything for Jesus. So tell me who are, tell me who we're serving. I mean, tell me who our real master is. Yeah. I, I know we believe capitalism is biblical because we've sold our souls. I know we believe that. It's just that uh, we can't, you can't find it anywhere on the pages of the old and new testaments. Anyway, sorry, man. <laughs> I've, I, I, here's why I'm, I'm fired up about this because I'm in it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm captive. I'm not condemning from afar. Yeah. I'm not a prophet. I'm not, I'm not condemning the system. I, I'm part of the system and I don't like when James and James five blasts the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, when Mark, uh, when, when Jesus says in Mark, do you see that it is impossible for the rich to be saved? And I go on one of these income ranking things and find out that I'm in the top 0.3% worldwide of income. And I know where my income ranking is in Grand Rapids. And I know where my income ranking is in America. And basically Jesus is saying about me and my social class, do you see how it's impossible for Gambas to be saved? Hmm. I'm like, ah, I'm terrified because on the, on the pages of, of uh, the old and new testaments, all the groups that God is coming after in judgment. um, I'm a part of, yeah, especially, I mean, and the one group that I'm a part of, and I think about them all the time, I think about um, the Pharisees and how they used, they knew scripture a thousand times better than I'll ever know scripture. And they were committed students to it far more than I ever will be. And they prayed more passionately for God's salvation, far more passionately than I do. And when Jesus shows up, when God shows up in the flesh, they check him out for three years and say, put him to death. Hmm. So the priests, I mean, all, all the groups of people that are like Bible scholars, in the old Testament, God comes after in judgment. And when God shows up in the new Testament, we find a group of people that are Bible scholars that have loads of arguments that many of which involve economics for why they shouldn't do the things that God says to do. And they all involve scripture. Mm. So, I can see that I'm part of a social class that has developed arguments for why we shouldn't do the things that God says to do. And they all involve scripture. And I'm a professional student of the Bible. I said, it scares the hell out of me, man. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a part of the system. Yep. I'm a part of Jesus incorporated. Yep. And, That's right. and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, my wife and I have these conversations with our kids all the time, like trying to make small changes and, uh, working with our church uh, to to be involved in efforts in our city, and uh, just thinking, how do I how do I extricate my life from this? Yeah, it's it's a, it's like I'm stymied. Yeah. it's got it's got its hooks in our churches. It's got its hooks in me, and if I want to be scratching and clawing towards liberation and towards salvation on the final day when God will uh, save the poor and oppressed and judge the wealthy and the Bible knowledgeable. <laughs> man it's frightening it's frightening we have a lot of repent it's not hopeless we can repent 
and confess and lament, but man, it is just, it's frightening when you read the reasons why God sent Israel into exile, almost all economic, almost all agrarian. Yes. You know, and we are just damaging the soil in the name of uh, capitalism here in America. And it's like, my goodness, we're, we're doing all this stuff and God hates it. And we, and we get together on, on Sunday mornings after we fight for our rights to gather against, you know, uh, the wisdom of loving our neighbors, again, another high handed, no thank you to what God says to do. We get together and we sing passionately about having God in our hearts and Jesus in our hearts. It's frightening because there are prophetic passages where God says, I hate your worship. I hate your opening song. I hate your special music because you're not, (laughs) you're not, you're not a people of justice for the poor. So I'm like, "Ah!" I don't know, man. It's yeah. my daily nightmare. It's my yeah. daily, daily, it's my daily crisis. What do we do about this? We are the problem. Conservative, white, evangelical Christians are the problem. What do we do about it? Yeah. CRT is not the problem. We are the problem. We and our idolatrous commitments that were given to us yeah. by our our forebears, and um, man, to to think about dismantling it, um, that's where we don't want to listen. We want to, because all we have is an ideology of growth. Dismantling it, we're thinking about an expansion. Yeah. We're, we're frustrated at COVID because our plans for expansion are put on hold. We were going to put totally. in a nice new foyer yeah. to this idolatrous $30 million building. What are we thinking? Capitalism has won. We, we are capitalists, and we have no clue about what is in the Bible. You know, I, I'm, I'm very much confronted with, so yes, I'm part of the problem. No question. And I'm confronted in, in when I hear like, let's erase college debt. Um, and I find myself instinctively sort of pushing back. Well, no, I mean, the rest of us made it out, you know, um, or, you know, these very sort of uh, progressive, at least in our binary systems, our progressive leaning sort of economic ideas, the Bernie the Bernie stuff. And I'm, I've been, I, my imagination has been captive to only one way of thinking about those things. Um, and, um, when I examine my objections to them, they're all just the canned script that, you know, that, that, that rewards rewards laziness. It, you know, blah, 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 blah. Everyone wants a handout, you know, so on, so on, so on. And yet, you know, I'm, I, I was reading this week about, the billionaires who've gotten richer while the uh, while so many small businesses have closed and a lot of the loans the government funding went to large corporations and yeah. not to small businesses and and I'm 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 okay with Bezos you know being a, the first trillionaire because you know he earned it um and I and I find myself called out and these conversations go, no, that's, that's not okay. You know, someone yeah. once said billionaires shouldn't exist. And my response was, well, if they earned it and if the market bears it, then go for it. I mean, I was an investment banker. Um, yeah. and, um, and so the moods of the market, we studied and researched and what the market likes and oh, the market doesn't oh, yeah. like that. And how's yeah. consumer confidence doing, Yeah, you know, as if the market totally. was some yeah. omnipotent thing. Yes. With a will. It's a, it's a, it's, it's got, yeah, we've totally made, yeah, the market is God. Absolutely. So, um, let's talk, I mean, Tim, 
Tim Stafford. I'm over here ooing and aahing and laughing uncomfortably. You are as quiet as anything, which is so rare. Um, it is rare. What are your thoughts? What do you want to, what are you thinking and hearing in all this? I'm just processing and trying to track in real time. I wrote down things like I listened to Tim Keller and I'm sure he was quoting someone else. And I think in some ways was quoting Proverbs 11 with and he's, I wrote down the righteous will disadvantage themselves to help their communities and the wicked one will disadvantage the communities to advantage themselves. And oh. I saw somewhere else too the the word Oof. for righteous and righteousness in Hebrew is the same as justice. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh yeah. Justice is is the justice is what righteousness means in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. Yeah, and justice, not not Western justice or some other notion, but uh, justice is the steps that uh, that need to be taken that the community needs to take to restore shalom. Right, it's right. restorative. Yep. Yeah, it's restorative. That's the thing that the a lot of the conversations that I have when people are pushing back on things like critical race theory or any racial topics right now, since so much has bu- surfaced in this this year at least. Um is that the way that racism, the way that people respond to racism or to the, like, so these words become buzzwords and then they become negative, like sharp objects, right? So critical race yeah. theory has recently become a sharp object that people are uh, wounded by. And and the same thing with the idea of systemic racism. Like I see the same pushback and the same like argument and the same, uh, Um, offense taken to that term and so racism suddenly becomes an idea like it's uh, people react to it as though we're saying it's a disease and I have become infected by this disease um, but I'm not sick with this disease I have you know there's the obvious ones of like the I've never owned slaves but it's looking it's it's so hard to have the conversation and not and about how these institutions or systems, I even, I'm so reluctant to even use those words because people won't listen to them. But the, the the things that we inherited have built have built our ideologies. We were joking before about. Um, I think I joked on here. Or I taught at a church recently, and I used this analogy. But um, how much Luke really in in Empire Strikes Back? How much Luke Skywalker really wanted to be a Jedi so bad and. Um, he went to Dagobah and he was getting so frustrated with Yoda because he's like, no, 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 I just want the magic. Like, I want to be able to do the magic. And Yoda's getting frustrated, but he's being patient. And then finally Yoda just kind of loses it or or Luke loses it and get, throws a little fit. And then Yoda's just like, ugh. And he tells him that he has to unlearn everything that he has learned in order to become what it is that he's supposed to be. And it's like, how do we have that conversation that we have inherited in our DNA these structures and institutions and we have to unlearn all of it. Like we have to, we have to be willing to, to take those blocks out to examine them and put things together the way they were intended to be. How do we unlearn everything that we've learned? Cause we are really like so opposed and offended when you're yeah. told that I have this problem. I am this person. I have not done anything. I am not da 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 da. And so, I'm having, you know, I moved back to my, the town I grew up in. And I, so I'm having those conversations with people I grew up with that are just like pushing back so hard. And 
um, you know, it'll, it's, I don't know, uh, the dumbest art, I'm not sorry, the hardest arguments to, to converse with <laughs> often come. Yeah. There's no question there. I just, that's just what I, my brain, I'm trying to process everything you guys are saying in real time while thinking about all this. How will the yeah, world disadvantage t- themselves for their communities? Yeah. The, the larger, um, to my mind, I'm, I'm very happy to talk and have conversations with people that, that want to talk and want to, want to learn because what, what I want to do, the way that I see myself is like, I'm, I'm not the one who knows a lot about all this. I'm the learner. Like, like what I am is a disciple, which means learner. So I signed up to something called discipleship to Jesus, which means I, I have embarked on a lifelong process of learning what the heck I signed up to when I died. So, so when I gave up everything and said I would lose everything, what did I do? And it's like, basically I'm, I'm part of a, I'm involved in a process of, of discovering what parts of my life the cross actually claimed when it claimed my life. And so that's going to involve a lot of discomfort and learning over time. So I'm the learner and I feel like um, the more that I'm learning about race and economics, I'm, I'm coming to see the brilliance of the, of ideological enslavement. Like it's, it's, it's so finely tuned and so brilliantly created that it comes with all of these built-in defense mechanisms mm-hmm. to ward off any challenge. And, and almost all of them have Bible verses and, 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 and it's like, but I'm a sincere person or, but, but I didn't mean it or, um, but yeah, like I earned it and they didn't earn it and all this kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. we have all of this and what I, for myself, I mean, this, these were my reactions when I first started learning and I kept going back to the text and um, seeing that none of those sentiments were in the text. Like um, there's, there's this notion uh, you might've heard of it called Thanksgiving. Um, (laughs) There's this notion of giving thanks, like give thanks and everything give thanks. Well, giving thanks is an economic and like, it's a, it's a political reality, social political reality. It's saying everything in my life and my life, everything is gift from God. So I'm not an individual that can say, but I earned it. My, I didn't, I mean, everything is God's. There's a guy who gets up on a veranda and says, I earned this, right? look at this great Babylon that I have built. What happened to him? (laughs) So it's like, so, so now I go back to thinking about my good ideology that, that trained me in the, in the, in the technique of saying, but they didn't earn it, but I did earn it. Yeah. And I'm, I've, um, that doesn't count. So that's out. So it's like, and, and I've kind of systematically gone through just my thinking on so many of these things and have just had to uproot stuff. And honestly, man, for me, it's taken me, it's taken me 20 years. It, it sparked by like personal crisis of in 2000 coming to the end of seeing that my conservative evangelical environment was just not going to be, it was just going to be a real struggle for me to be in the one I was in. And then that opened me up to like a new way of thinking. And it took me a long time. Yeah. So I feel like I've got a lot of patience for white people because white people, <laughs> white middle-class people are trained where we've been blinded and it requires it literally requires a miraculous um, revelation 
Oh yeah, Mike, um, what is it? Pearl Jam, Bush Leaguer. Born on third, thinks he got a triple. <laughs> so he's Pearl Jam and baseball in one. Totally, totally man. So yeah, there's uh, all these, when you start to look at the dynamics of how capitalism works, um, the people at the bottom are, are just, they're, they're wearing out their bodies mm-hmm. and they're wearing out their futures so that people higher up the chain uh, can benefit. <laughs> so, That's so right. again, back to my, back to my earlier comment, which I think I try to push that into the, the far corners of all my thinking. God is listening to some people, but not everybody. He's listening to the poor, not the wealthy. He knows the humble uh, uh, intimately. He stiff arms the proud. So it's like, yeah, that's, if God is listening to certain people, I want to be as well. And I want to be skewering and holding lightly all my own training in reactions when I'm participating in conversations like this, like redoing how schools are funded or, um, uh, thinking about, uh, debt forgiveness. If, Mm -hmm. if debt forgiveness is a big deal in the Bible, why do people who say they love the Bible object to it? Like, that's a problem for me, Hmm. you know, and and there's no, there's no footnote in Deuteronomy 15. Well, they, they didn't make good choices or they didn't earn it or, you know, don't help her. She She knew she should have gotten pregnant. Yeah. Yes. I would say it this way. That's actually an old, Old Testament thing instead of but that's an Old Testament thing. I like that. I like rewording. Again, I like rewording responses of, back. Totally. It's like, yeah, that's an Old Testament thing, which means it's another, yes. way, another way of saying that is, yes, God is so angry at his people that he's going to judge them for not listening to the Old Testament. So I, that, that's problematic. By the way, that's part of the package. Uh, the dispensability of the Old Testament is necessary for white middle-class Christians to feel comfortable, which, which is why it's part of our theology. Like that's, that's irrelevant. It's harsh. It's like, yeah, it's harsh. It's calling you leave your idols behind, which you love so much. (laughs) Oh, well, Timothy, what's your middle name? If you don't mind me asking George, (laughs) Timothy, George, Wow. And Timothy John. That That's so who we got. weird. Well, That's... you know what's funny is I used to always tell people that my name was George. And I really? think my, and I've had Amazon for however long. And my name, when my get packages, still says George Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, Not the worst thing. So, Timothy George Gombus, you've stepped in it completely. Um, this, this is so <laughs> wonderfully wonderfully challenging stuff my goodness it is it's challenging this is socialism this is like my daily uh you know when i take my walks every morning i i am not even kidding i I, this is the stuff that just that tortures me Mm. and i i just i'm a i'm my part of my ongoing crisis is how do i exist among people who are not facing a crisis over what's actually in this bible they claim to love yeah, I love oh, the idea. Good. I mean, I I would love to find a way to encourage a younger generation. I would love to find a way to encourage the older generation uh, with the same thing. But the idea, just that definition of disciple as student, as a lifelong membership to being a student, to always be in a yeah. posture of learning in every facet of everything of life of yeah. this life that we're. I think that is such a. If church can do exactly that, like we are going to be continually a posture of learning. Me as a pastor, you as a congregant, 
or however you want to put that dynamic up, but that we're all in that posture to grow and learn and to listen. I think that's very powerful. It's so big, man. That's, that's the meaning of the Greek term. And it's, I mean, I've just tried to think about a disciple is disciplined, like a disciple's trained. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what has been my American training in being an American white middle-class man? Mm-hmm. I've been trained and, and now I'm in a counter training, which is, which is tough because yeah. it's really hard work. Yeah. Yoda knew all about Tim, it. I- yeah. Learning and cultivating the cultivating the nimbleness to make changes if we need to. The bummer with me is that capitalism has so locked our churches into making sure we never learn anything new and making sure we never change because that would mean the, the dismantling of our structures. I mean, we got a mortgage to pay, man. We got, got to pay for that brand new parking lot. Can't afford to learn anything new. <laughs> oh, Gombus. Dang. <laughs> you know, we're, we're continually just so grateful for your willingness to process out loud with us a whole bunch of this stuff i think oh cool man i'm, in, just, I'm just your, thankful anybody would listen well but, but in the academic world similar dynamics are at play in terms of um there aren't a lot of theologians who process out loud um hmm. but who instead give finely crafted statements approved by the necessary boards and tenure granted and those sorts of things and so oh yeah you know, it, it's the, the same dynamics are in every Christian institution. Um, yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Capitalism. One of the dynamics of capitalism is, is that it sets us in competition with each other as individuals. Yes. It's individuals in competition. So yeah. it's zero sum. Yeah. You can't have that if you're on a cross. So you can't be in competition. So, uh, man, we're just super grateful. Check out Faith Improvised. Yeah, man. You get your podcasts. And uh, we've got a commentary on Mark coming out in a couple of months. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. So we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much, Tim. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out. It's good to see you guys. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast and on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.